Good morning. Welcome to Evangel and to those watching from home. We welcome you and happy Palm Sunday. I invite you to stand as we worship and we're going to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord God, we ask that you would come and change our hearts and draw us close to your side. We pray for your will to be done. Come Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
place, but in our hearts, Lord God, have your way. Lord Jesus, please be the king of our hearts.
to see you. Just wave and say hi to someone before you're seated this morning. Good to have you here. Alrighty, please be seated. I want to welcome you on this Palm Sunday morning as we uh, celebrate what we consider to be often referred to as Holy Week in the church. We have Palm Sunday today, Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday next week. So we're glad that you could be here to celebrate together. And for those of you who are watching from elsewhere, we're delighted that you're a part of our service today as well. And we're excited at the end of our service today. We do have a baptism that we're going to celebrate together. And so we're glad that you can be here and be a part of that. Just want to remind you of a couple of things before Tyler comes back. Just a reminder that, as I mentioned, this Friday is Good Friday. We'll be having a Good Friday service at 10 a.m. on Friday morning. It will be in-person only, so it will not be live-streamed. It'll be in-person only. It'll be a Good Friday uh, communion service focus morning, and uh, we will invite you to, to be here if you can. And also just to remind you that uh, annually at Good Friday, we usually take a special offering uh, for our benevolent fund, which is a fund that we've set up to assist those uh, in the church and in the community that uh, find themselves in challenging financial times uh, due to certain uh, different circumstances, and we're able to come alongside and help them. And so you're able to give that in person, but you can also do it online and just put benevolent in the message line uh, when you send your giving to uh, giving at epcoakville.com. Just put in the message line. It's for benevolent, and we'll make sure it gets there. So we'll look forward to seeing you on Friday morning at 10. Also, just uh, to let you know that um, this past week we've been praying for the Lynn family, uh, Bell Smith family. And so just uh, sadly on Thursday, uh, Doug passed away. Doug Lynn did pass away on, on Thursday. And just to let you know a couple things, uh, the funeral service, uh, celebration of life service for Doug will be on Tuesday evening here at the church. So Tuesday evening at seven o'clock here at Evangel. And you are invited to be here. There will be a coffee uh, reception following that uh, here in the church hall. And uh, you're welcome to be here and to be a part of that as well. So we encourage you to pray for the Lynn and Bellsmith families, but also you can come and show your support on Tuesday evening and also uh, to visit with them at that time. Now, as a part of the social, we want to be able to come alongside the family and support them uh, with the social at this time. And so we often have members of the congregation who contribute to that. And uh, so there is an opportunity for you to do that. And on the desk uh, in the foyer, there's a sign-up sheet there, and, and it's sweets only. So uh, we're not doing, typically sometimes we do like sandwiches and veggie platters and all that stuff. We're just foregoing all the healthy stuff. We're going right to sweet. So uh, if you can donate some sweets and drop them off here for Tuesday, please sign that list and we'll follow up with you about arranging uh, drop-off and so on. So thank you very much for doing that. 
Kids, you are free to go just around the edge of the building. Meet your volunteers over here. Parents, at the end, we would like you to pick them up, and you can do that downstairs. Uh, just go down the stairs, follow to the end of the hallway, and I think you'll find them. You'll know where they are. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Just want you to enjoy the rest of the service. Tyler, hand it back over to you. So you've probably uh, picked up on a theme so far in the music, Hosanna and Jesus is the King. So being Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey and they were waving the palm branches saying Hosanna to the Son of David, that's what these songs are about is singing out Hosanna to Jesus the King. Um, and I think sometimes we can get very familiar with that, saying that Jesus is the King. But if you really think about it, you know, like Justin Trudeau's the prime minister or, you know, you can think of political leaders, but Jesus is not just, you know, he's not the king of a political, you know, country. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the cosmos. He's the king of my heart. He's, do you know what I mean? Like it's a completely different level. And so it doesn't really, hopefully you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter what's going on politics, all that, because God's got it. He's in control, and at the end of the day, he's going to right every wrong, so I'm going to focus on that. Do you know what I mean? And so, and I can trust in his kingship. Um, so that's what these songs are about. Um, so I invite you to stand as we sing Hosanna.
Scripture this morning is found in John chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, and then 25 to 27. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of 
his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. I grew up in a family that didn't own a car. Neither of my parents ever had their driver's license. Their whole lives never had their driver's license. My dad owned multiple boats, but never a car. In hindsight, I think my dad was on to something. If I could go back, I think I would go that route too. Now, when I was getting close to the age to start driving, my dad bought me a 1973 Mercury Bobcat for $800. I know, right? Now, it needed a lot of work. But my brother-in-law owned his own garage, and so he had his guys do the body work and the mechanical to make it roadworthy for free. So that was great. I was so excited. Not only was I get, going to get my driver's license, which was a big deal, but I owned my own car. What a beauty. I'd like to have that car now. I would practice moving it around the driveway. I couldn't drive it on the road yet, so I would move it around. It's funny, we had a really big driveway, no car. And so I would move it all around the driveway. My parents couldn't take me driving so I could practice and in those days, we never used driving schools, so my friend's mom across the street would, would take me out, take me out practicing my driving. And she would sit there in the passenger seat, relax, and she would just knit away, and she was knitting while I drove us all over town, which took about three and a half minutes to get from one end to the other. And she would tell me repeatedly how much better a driver I was than my friend. And so on the road test day, my friend returned to report that she had gotten her license on the first try. And I was excited because obviously, because of her mother uh, telling me, I was clearly the better driver. And if she could get it on the first try, then this was not going to be a problem for me at all. And everything was going great until the parking portion of the test I think that sort of has been handed down through the generations, that being the issue. Now, I knew that I had three tries to get it right. I, I knew that. And so as I was backing into the space, I knew that this first attempt, well, it wasn't going to work. I, I just knew that I wasn't going in on the right angle here. So I thought, well, no problem. I have two more tries. So I just continued until I bumped the pylon and then I, I pulled out getting ready for my second attempt when the examiner asked me what I was doing. Well, I told him, I'm about to do my second try. And he said, well, you hit the pylon, which is a car. The pylon represents a car. And I was disqualified from my additional attempt, attempts because I, I hit the pylon. I'm thinking, well, well, thanks for telling me that before I crushed the pylon. It would have been good to know that. I could have I moved out. I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I was disappointed. I had to come back and tell my inferior friend that I failed when she won. 
inferior in a sense of driving ability, of course. And I knew I was going to disappoint everyone who expected that I was going to pass with ease. I had failed, and now my license was going to be delayed. We're currently focusing on an Easter series which we've entitled A Rock in a Hard Place. And we've been tracking with Peter through the first Easter, and we're tracking through specifically the valuable lessons that he had to learn, and most of the lessons Peter learned were the hard way. We began in week one with the lesson he learned about humility. Then last week, we looked at the second lesson, which was meekness. And today, we're going to be focusing on the lesson that Peter learned about failure, about failure. And so as we do that today, we're going to be reminded that even though we experience profound failure in our lives, Jesus responds to us with compassion, love, and restoration. So let's begin with the prediction this morning as we look on our passage. Michael, this is not working, so you're the man. The prediction of Peter's failure took place in John chapter 13, a few chapters earlier in what we read about this morning. It happened in the upper room on the night of Jesus' arrest and the day before his crucifixion. We see that Jesus was with the 12 disciples in the upper room, and he's sharing the Passover meal. The focus of the evening was on Jesus preparing his disciples for his soon departure. Danger was looming, and Jesus was talking about dying and going to the Father. Despite Jesus' teaching, Peter and the other disciples, they didn't understand. They weren't getting it. It wasn't getting through to them. And so Jesus had indicated that a great cost would be involved in laying down his life. He's trying to help them understand that. Now, Peter was sincere, and he genuinely wanted to go with Jesus right up to the very end. And so Jesus told him, he says, listen, Peter, you can't go with me now. You, you'll follow later, but not at this time. There's, there's a work that, that he, Jesus, had to do first that Peter couldn't be a part of. And so Peter responded to Jesus by proclaiming that, no, you don't understand, Jesus. I'm ready, and I'm willing to even die for you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm willing to do that. And Peter believed he was ready. He said it because he believed he was. He believed he was ready to die for Jesus, but the truth was he was not ready. And Jesus knew that. And this wasn't about Peter anyway. And so this moment was about Jesus laying down his life for Peter and others, the whole world. It was not about Peter laying down his life for Jesus at this time. And so Jesus told Peter something that would impact him significantly. Not only was he not ready to die for Jesus, but before the rooster crowed, he said, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. Now, rooster crowing marked the time when the darkness of night gave way to the light of, you know, to the light of dawn. And Jesus was telling Peter that he would deny him three times in the next short while before the rooster crowed. Peter was shocked. He couldn't imagine that this was possible. He couldn't imagine that this is something that he could ever do. Now, I want us to note that when we read the scripture here, the conversation recorded during the remainder of the meal after Jesus told Peter that he was going to do this, all the conversation is involving the other disciples, but there's no record of Peter speaking from this moment on. He, he just, out of character for Peter, goes quiet. 
He's likely devastated by this suggestion that he would ever deny Jesus, and he's, he's thinking about that, and he's sort of in his own little world. The second thing we see here is failure. In John chapter 18, which is what we read about today, we read that while Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane and the disciples were sleeping, that Judas arrived with a band of temple soldiers to arrest Jesus and take him to the high priest. We're not going to get into detail on that because that was last week's sermon. But Peter and an unnamed disciple discreetly, discreetly tracked and followed Jesus and you know, the, those who took him from Gethsemane over the Kidron Valley to the residence of the high priest in Jerusalem. And we're told that the unnamed disciple was well known to the household of the high priest. And so he was able to get into the courtyard through the gate, no problem. But Peter had to wait on the outside. Later, he was able to get Peter in. Now, the first denial came at the admittance into the courtyard of the gate. When, when they came back to get Peter, a servant girl who was in charge of attending the gate recognized both disciples and so looked at Peter in the eye and said, you're not one of the disciples, are you? And Peter replied, I am not. I am not. Peter and the other disciple then moved over to the charcoal fire in the courtyard to warm themselves. Jerusalem is 2,600 feet above sea level, and so it's likely a chilly spring night. Charcoal fires provided great heat and low light. And so it's perfect for Peter to get warm, but kind of hide out in the darkness, not be recognized. We're told as he was warming himself, he was asked a second time by others who were around the fire, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter emphatically replied, I am not. I am not. When Jesus was arrested in the garden, and we talked about that last week, we talked about how he drew his sword and cut off the ear of a man, a servant man named Malchus, and how Jesus rebuked him for that response and, and healed the man. Jesus told him this is not the type of kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And so, you know, he restored Malchus and taught Peter the lesson on meekness. Well, there's a relative of Malchus that was present around the fire. And he looked at Peter because he was clearly in the garden with the group that arrested Jesus. He said, didn't I see you with Jesus in the garden? He was sure that he saw Peter, but Peter once again denied it. And with that, immediately the rooster began to crow. Now John doesn't, in his gospel, doesn't give us any further information, but Luke in his gospel tells us that at that moment, the proximity of Jesus to Peter was such that, Peter, that Jesus looked at Peter in that moment. He made eye contact with him. Both Mark in his gospel and Luke tell us that Peter went outside and wept bitterly at his appalling failure. What he never thought was possible had just taken place. What he thought he would never do, he did. Thirdly, restoration. In John 21, we read of the restoration of Peter. It was early morning when the darkness of night was giving way once again to the light of day. The disciples, were told, had fished all night without any success. The sun began to rise, and they were wet, and they were cold, and they were discouraged. In the meantime, we're told that Jesus was on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Perhaps the morning mist, or that they were preoccupied with their work, that 
they didn't notice him. Jesus called out to them and asked if they had any fish. No, they replied. And so he said, throw your net over on the other side of the boat. And so they did. And when they did, we're told the catch was so great that they couldn't land it all in the boat. And then in that moment of this miracle happening, suddenly one of the disciples recognized that this was Jesus. You remember, this is after the resurrection. Recognize that that's Jesus on the, pe- on the beach. And Peter, in typical Peter fashion, jumped into the water to get to Jesus while the others followed with the boat and the fish. For Peter, this was a moment that was mixed. A moment mixed with great joy and great fear. He was excited to see Jesus, but no doubt conscious of his failure at the same time. Jesus had a charcoal fire going with fish and bread, we're told, cooking on it. And he invited them to to, to bring some of the fish that they had caught and, and to join him in a meal. Now, this is a significant moment. The biblical word here is companion, which, you know, come and be my companion. And it does mean one with whom you share bread, but it's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's a relationship. It's companionship. It's sharing a meal with someone that you're in relationship to or with. The last time Jesus broke bread with Peter, he told them, Peter, you're going to fail me. You're going to deny me. This time as they broke bread, he's restoring him. Jesus was showing Peter that he still loved him, that he was not disqualified because of his failure. And so Jesus then asked Peter three questions. Peter, on many occasions, had communicated to Jesus that, you know what, I love you more than the others, Jesus. I love you more than anybody loves you. So Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me more than these men? And Peter's response is, you know that I love you. The second time, Jesus asked, do you truly love me? Peter replied, you know that I love you. The third time, Peter, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter replied, you know I love you. In light of Peter's declaration of love for Jesus, Jesus is in this moment reinstating him in his ministry to take care of Jesus' sheep or those who are his followers, to watch over them, to provide and care for them, to lead them. Now it's important to see the parallels here. Peter denied Jesus three times with the final time coming at the break of dawn while around a charcoal fire. Jesus reinstated Peter at the break of dawn around a charcoal fire, asking him three times if he loved him. Jesus invited Peter to follow him like he did the first time they met by the Sea of Galilee. The word follow here means to keep on, to not stop following. Jesus predicted that Peter's faithfulness would one day lead to laying down his life. Peter, you wanted to go to the end with me, and that opportunity will come for you at some point in the future as you give your life to serving me. Peter wasn't ready before, but he's ready now. He had failed Jesus before, but Jesus responded with compassion and restoration. Because the resurrection was about new life, about new beginnings. It was about a second chance, about restoring broken relationship. The resurrected Jesus was providing a new beginning, a second chance of restored relationship to Peter and the other disciples in this story. There are three things that I would 
briefly like to focus on from our scripture today. The first is regrets. Like Peter, I believe all of us have likely had moments where we have said that we would never do something, only to end up doing that very thing. The result is embarrassment, sometimes broken trust, sometimes deep pain, sometimes a destroyed reputation, sometimes it's a a broken relationship with others, a broken relationship with God. It could be a destroyed marriage or a broken family as a result of doing something we said we would never do. And so we need to be careful because, well, we're all capable of sinning. We're all capable of doing wrong things. We're all capable of hurting other people more than we might think we are. We're capable of that. And I'm sure that Peter had many moments when he wished that he could go back, that he had responded differently in the circumstances, that he had not done what he did, but rather done the right thing. I wonder if he was reminded and prompted every morning when he heard the rooster crow, every time the smoke of a charcoal fire just drifted in his direction, reminding him of doing something he thought he could never do. See, the truth is, he couldn't go back. He broke trust. He was disloyal. He abandoned Jesus at a very critical time. He failed. He failed. He was a failure. He couldn't change the past. But he could change the future. And I'm sure all of us, whether we're here or watching from somewhere else today, we have regrets in our lives. We, we have regrets. We wish we could go back. We wish we could do something different. We wish that we had not done what we did or we had not said what we had said. Like Peter, we can't go back. What's done is done. It can never be undone. And it carries a huge impact. And so many of us understand what it means to have Regrets. The second thing I see here is second chances. Guilt and shame often cause us to travel down familiar, predictable roads and not always the right roads. For Peter, his failure led him down the road to Galilee, to his old life, to where he lived and where he was a fisherman before he decided he would give his life to following Jesus. It was a familiar life where he could create a future for himself and his family, despite his shame. Now, we sometimes do the same thing. We fail and we're guilty, so we go down the roads that seem familiar and comfortable, where we can depend on our own strength and efforts to chart the best future that we can chart. For some, it may mean walking away from faith. It may mean walking away from your church community. It might mean walking away from your marriage. It may mean walking away from your family or your friends because you believe that that's your only option. You've, you've failed and you just need to, to, to be away from everybody. It might mean walking towards things that are not good for you, being drawn to things that you know that are not in your best interest. And so while Peter was doing this very thing, Jesus showed up. And I want you to notice that Peter didn't go and find Jesus. Jesus came and found Peter. 
Peter didn't even recognize Jesus at first, but when he did, he came running. Jesus doesn't wait for us to make the initiative. The resurrection is a reminder that Jesus took the initiative. He took the initiative to bear the burden of our sins and our failures, our mistakes, our our poor choices. And so whether you recognize him or not, whether you see him there on the periphery of your life, he is right there with you, waiting for you to recognize him, to see him, and to respond to him by running to him. Even when you go down the wrong road, Jesus is there on that road waiting for you, ready to bring you back to the right road. And if those you hurt are willing to forgive you and give you a second chance, then you're blessed and you should value that opportunity. And if those you hurt cannot forgive you and cannot give you a second chance, then that's the reality of the consequences of the situation, but you still need to know that Jesus is still offering forgiveness and a different future for you, regardless of where others are in their response to you. The resurrection is about hope in the midst of despair. It's about life coming from death. It's about victory being snatched from the jaws of defeat. It's about the impossible becoming possible. It's about a fresh start and a new beginning. We can't change the past, but with Jesus, we can have a better future. And thirdly, and this is admittedly one of my favorite themes in Scripture, is daybreak. And I love this whole theme all throughout Scripture. It was at daybreak around a charcoal fire that the rooster crow announced Peter's failure. And it was at daybreak around a charcoal fire that the loving embrace of Jesus announced Peter's restoration. If you study Scripture closely, you'll see this theme of daybreak and how God does some of his best work at daybreak. In Genesis 32, Jacob is exhausted from wrestling through the night with the heavenly messenger, but at daybreak, his character is changed and he receives the blessing he needs to fulfill God's purpose for him. In Exodus chapter 14, we see that the Israelites are trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. Defeat seemed inevitable. Things were hopeless. There was no way out, but it says, but at daybreak, but at daybreak, God opened the sea so they could cross safely. In Daniel chapter 6, we read that the king who had Daniel thrown into the den of lions arose from his bed at daybreak to find that God had protected Daniel through the night and Daniel was set free at daybreak. In the Gospels, we read of the women coming to the tomb to mourn the loss of Jesus and to prepare him for a proper burial. But we're told at daybreak, their hope was restored because he was alive. Daybreak is the place where God swallows the troubles that chase us. Daybreak is the place where God declares that enough is enough and intervenes for us. Daybreak is the place where God sets us free. Daybreak is the place where God's protection and provision for us through the dark night is revealed. Daybreak is the time when we walk away from a struggle with a limp, yet we are prepared more than ever to embrace God's purpose for our lives. Daybreak is the time when Jesus reminds those of us who feel disqualified because we failed too much that there's still a place for us. There's still a place for us. Some of us have had to endure 
a long, dark night. Some are still enduring it. Many of us had to face our greatest fears. Many of us have lost hope because there appears to be no way out. Many of us have given up on ourselves because of our failures and we're engrossed in anxiety and depression because we feel like we've just messed up too much. But I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else today. Dawn is breaking. Darkness will lift. The light is beginning to penetrate into your life. Hope is rising and God is working and enemies are being defeated and and you will experience God's power in your life because there is no darkness powerful enough to ever extinguish the light of his love and his hope for us. I'm going to invite Tyler to come back and when I finish in a moment, I'm going to invite Daniel to come. You can just hold on for a moment, Daniel. We will fail in this life. And when we do, it will cause us embarrassment and disappointment and regret, wishing that we could go back and undo what we've done. We can't change the past, but with Jesus, we can have a better future as we allow him to restore us through great love and compassion. Jesus' encounter with Peter after his failure reminds us that even though we experience profound failure in our lives, Jesus responds to us with compassion, love, and restoration. Would you stand with us as Tyler leads and Daniel, we'd like to invite you to come forward as we prepare for baptism this morning. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he's my son. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he's my you are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are Could be seated while we enjoy the video this morning. Hello, my name is Daniel Trombley. All throughout high school, I guess you could say, uh, I just kind of blended in with the crowd and did what everyone else did. Uh, which took me to drugs and alcohol and just, just hanging out with the wrong group of people. And all throughout scripture, you know, you hear the wise words of Solomon talking about how, you know, if you surround yourself with fools, you'll become one yourself, right? So I kind of understood this after I studied scripture, but the reason uh, I started following Jesus is because I, one night I just got convicted, like, where are you taking your life? Like, what, what's going on? Out of nowhere, too, it was on a night I was partying, actually, and I feel as though God really put it in my heart to just find out who he was. I didn't really understand what I was doing or where I was going, 
But uh, yeah, Jesus and my relationship with him just came from overall spending time in the word and really just, just praying and getting to know who he was. Uh, the reason I'm getting baptized uh, would probably be because I have to show that I'm dying to my old self and I'm getting resurrected in new life, I guess you could say, as a proclaiming my faith in Jesus Christ publicly. So that's what I'm doing here today. And I just wanted to say that uh, Jesus is, a, is really good. Daniel, for sharing that video. And um, um, we've known each other a while, sort of, because you're, you're a neighbor of my family, um, my brother and his family. And so um, we've had a chance to chat, and you asked me about being baptized, and we had some others that were lined up today, but um, they decided that they wanted to wait a little longer, and we decided that uh, we were going to do this just, just with you today. And so we're, we're glad that you're here to be a part of this. Um, normally, as we do baptisms, we often like to invite any family and friends that are here that would like to come and just stand around and be here uh, with Daniel as we baptize him. And so if family and friends would like to come, you can come this time. Just come around here and up the steps over on this side. Just come around and uh, you can join me up here. guys can come on in if you want and get get close yeah Daniel upon the public confession of your faith in Jesus Christ I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit careful now it's slippery let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he's my son let the king of my heart be the fire the echo of Inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. Let's stand together. You are stand. good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. As we conclude our service this morning, we're going to conclude in prayer. And we do have a number of prayer requests that we're continuing with. We're continuing to pray for Gina Cree. We're praying for the Lind family, Edith and Carl Soss. Praying for Todd White. And just to let you know, Todd has been admitted to Princess Margaret as part of the stem plant, uh, stem transplant process. 
and uh, stem cell transplant process. And so he's going to be in there for the next two to three weeks. And we're just praying that that goes well. And uh, infection is always a concern with these things. So we're praying for Todd. Continue to pray for Gaynor as well. So let's just pray together before we conclude this morning. Father, we are just so grateful that we can come before you. We are all standing here today as a testimony of your grace and your love for us. None of us could declare that we were worthy to be loved by you. None of us could declare that we earned our right to be accepted by you, but you laid down your life for us and you demonstrated your life for us and made provision for us to have relationship with you through the cross, and we are grateful for that. Father, we are reminded today that even though we will fail along the way, that our response to you and your forgiveness and restoration and compassion will allow us a second chance, a new opportunity. And I pray that for all of us today. Lord, we thank you for Daniel today and thank you that he could share this significant moment in his journey of faith as he publicly acknowledges you in front of, of others to that he, his desire to know you and serve you with, and give you his whole life. I pray that you'd help him, Lord, along the way. Lord, today we pray for those who need your touch. We pray for Gina. And Lord, I just pray for Gina and Edith. And we pray for Carl. We pray today for Todd. And we just ask, Lord, as he goes through this process, that that you would lead and guide and good things would come out of this situation. Lord, we pray today for Gaynor. And Lord, we especially lift up before you today the Lynn family as they are grieving the loss of Luana losing her husband, Carlene and the family losing their dad and grandpa. And Lord, we just pray for your peace, your comfort, and your strength in their lives, that you would go with them. Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would lead us and guide us, watch over us and care for us. And Lord, for those of us who may be in that dark season of, of night, anticipating that daybreak in our lives where you will see Lord, the good that will come from the challenges that we've had and we've had to endure, I just pray that you give us the strength and the faith and the trust, Lord, for you to take us through. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control. We ask that you lead us and guide us today. Thank you that we could be here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you for, th- for joining us. If we can be a help, please don't hesitate to let us know. Have a great week.